Web3.fm. Good morning. This is the Web3 Writers Hour. I'm CD Demisio, joined by my friend and co-host Edward Carpenter. Also see Rihanna Morgan's here, T. Dylan Daniel, Katie Dozier, Timothy Green. Uh, we've got authored style in the house. Uh, this is the Web3 Writers Hour. It's a conversation among writers about the place where writing and Web3 intersect, and nobody knows that better than my friend Edward Carpenter. How are you, Edward? CD, I'm doing good. Uh, just coming to you uh, live from Dargaland in uh, New South Wales, just uh, north of Sydney, um, some little mountain towns. I'm very surprised to find out how close uh, the mountains are, in fact, to Sydney. Um, really uh, some beautiful little rural areas up here. So blessed, blessed to be here and uh, and really happy to be here with everybody today. I also see we're joined by Riona Morgan. How are you, Riona? Glad to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with all of you. I can't wait to hear all of the things going on in Web3 writing land. There is a lot going on. It's, uh, God, I wish I was there at the Blue Mountains with you, Edward. It was so beautiful when I was there last time. And it's, you know, you get out and do some cool stuff, man. It You really see the world. I know you're in Australia right now, but that's a big part of the world, far part of the world for most of us. Hey, I was curious. Would you uh, would you read us something that you've written, Edward? I know that puts you a little bit on the spot, but um, I feel like we don't get to hear your written voice as much, and hearing it in your spoken voice would be really cool. Yeah, so I'd I'd really enjoy doing that because um, while I uh, I started this writers festival, you know, a little feeling a little meh and uh, thinking, you know, maybe. I, I should be working on my my work in progress and, and not wasting time. Uh, I ended up coming out of it some uh, what I felt was some really good inspiration, and I do want to um, be happy to share just like the first little bit of one of two short stories. You know, short stories is one of my favorite art forms, and it, sometimes they just come to me, and uh, oftentimes out of a bit of lived experience. But I'll give you just uh, a quick paragraph, and this is uh, from a, a story called "The Festival." The writer is sitting on a stage in the Baroque room, a high-ceiling place framed in red velvet and set off with peacock feathers and brass urns. She is reading a passage from her latest novel, which features chauvinistic golfers, a ferocious yet disappointing Doberman, a severed arm, Grotum's past emerging. The writer, who is moderating, asks about the severed arm. Did it have blood on the stump? Yes, says the writer, they all do. All. The writer who is moderating seems pleasantly astonished. You can get different sorts of severed limbs as squeak toys for dogs. You can get any severed thing you like, replies the writer, smiling. Scrotums? No, she laughs. No scrotums as yet. In the audience, one of the writers scribbles something in a notebook and looks up and around to see, somewhat surprisingly, that most of the other writers are not similarly engaged. Didn't the writer on stage clearly state the importance of notebooks when being asked about the secret to being a writer? Then again, no one is drinking either, and according to the writers on stage, that was another of the secrets to being a writer. The secret to being a speaker, it seemed, was to be on stage. Writers who were not on stage were expected to be as children, seen and not heard, only allowed to ask questions if they raised their hands politely and were lucky enough to be called upon. The question had been, where do you find inspiration for the ideas in your novels, or words to that effect? And the answer had been, beer helps. Perhaps the beer only worked for novels. The writer who replied didn't really self-identify as a writer after all, but as a novelist. 
Of course, he warned, you can't tell the people that because they will think you are a wanker. It makes for an awkward conversation. But not identifying as a novelist made the awkward conversations longer. One writer in the audience couldn't honestly say he was a novelist because he wrote other things besides novels. Military orders and articles about network security and short stories featuring talking mice, Japanese soldiers, and paralyzed women. He wrote to-do lists, critiques of submissions to the Harvard Review, and one time a Twitter thread about DIY laptops which Cory Doctorow had retweeted. People who didn't know him would ask, oh, what do you write? And people who did know him would ask, how is the writing going? I think that's probably a good place to stop. Maybe you should have stopped a little earlier. I was hoping you wouldn't stop. Oh, my God, dude, that's so good. I could not stop with the emojis. I just want to hear. Let me give you some. Uh, we don't have odd writings in the house today yet. But here's here's the. You deserve it. That was so awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about the more about the inspiration for that? And um, I don't know. It was just it was really great. I want to hear more about it. Well, the inspiration was um, it, it just started with uh, um, that line. Uh, you can get anything you like as a you can get any sort of severed limb you like as a squeak toy for a dog, at least in Australia. And uh, the moderator actually did say you know, can you get scrotums which had appeared kind of oddly and but not in a, just in one of those bizarre ways in this little fragment of a story that the lady had just read us and and she laughed and said no no can't get those yet and but then i kind of like really said oh you know what's the scene and setting and and realized we we're sitting in kind of a unique spot and then as i went run through the con um i think the as I started to go through the conference or look at the conference with the eyes of, of being kind of trapped in this bizarre, surreal short story, um, the conference became a lot more interesting. And I realized that there were lots of um, bits of bits of truth and bits of like kind of half truth that you could spin around it. And it was just going to be a good short story and um, a lot of great lines. I'll, uh, I'll give you just one more as an example. But, th but this is sort of, again, the way that Sometimes it works for me when I'm writing uh, is just the things that link themselves together. Um, so uh, let's see. So we, we had just said, um, you know, people, you know, ask the writer, you know, what are you writing and or how, how's your writing going and uh, and what happens after that? Um, so I'll just give you a little bit more and then tell you where the, the um, footnotes come from, because it turns out there's a bunch of footnotes. Um, and there was a footnote on the uh, that idea of a Twitter thread about DIY laptops, um, which Cory Doctorow once retweeted. The footnote said, of course, it is now an X thread about DIY laptops, which Cory Doctorow reposted. Like one of the writer's favorite poets wrote, sticks and stones will break you, and then the names of things will be changed. Uh, friend write, the writer sometimes thinks that he annoys his wife because he talks too much when other writers ask him such questions. He thinks his wife would rather hear what her friend the writer has to say. He was wrong, as is so often the course case. Later, they will discuss the matter in bed and come to the conclusion that he should yield the floor after a shorter time to other speakers, ideally prompting them with a question that when she is given the floor, she should take it and speak in more depth, instead of giving as little information as possible before asking her interlocutor to tell you more about themselves. They will both have to break old habits if they are to succeed. After all, she was raised by spies, and he was raised as a white man in America. The writer may or may not actually be annoyed by her husband. People are like ferrets, as a tedious man once said. A man with much to tell, having stored considerable, but a talker, not a writer. 
Then again, men are all, people are also mysterious. What did the gambler say? We can know each other to a certain level, but to know entirely, say impossible. The best policy is doubtless not to tell people that one is a writer, at least not until one reaches a certain point. Most of the writers here would like to awake one morning and find themselves to be famous. Few of the writers here have awoken to make that discovery, but they tell the others that fame is not what it's cracked up to be, which is the only thing for a polite, woke writer to say to the multitudes of other writers still sleepwalking through anonymity. And it's a note there that says, this is a clever phrase borrowed by Lord, from Lord Byron by Alan Taylor and left carelessly in the introduction to the Alan Rickman Diaries. There it was found by the writer in a second-hand hardcover on the second floor of the Little Lost Bookshop. The writer has no idea where Lord Byron found it. So, yeah, um, just noting this, yeah, having been in a little bookstore, you know, opened up a book that was interesting, found an interesting quote, realized it could be applied to the situation that I had found myself in. Um, you know, having a chat with my wife and uh, one of our, our friends, uh, just everything kind of melds together. And you just take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and you mix it together and you figure what, you know, what makes a storyline. And um, because it's not the real world, it doesn't have to be um, consistent. You can mix things from one interview into another interview and the time can change a little. But yeah, so that's a, a bit of what I was doing. And, and my wife and I, she was like, what are you going to talk about the thing today? I said, well, hopefully a little bit about this. And um, she said, are you going to tell them what a difference it makes taking a break, uh, kind of getting out of your normal routine and letting go of all your um, kind of expectations and responsibilities, even for just a short time, can really let the creativity uh, you know, filter back into your life if that feels like it's been lost. And that's definitely been my experience this week. But I'm curious if anybody else has had that experience of of feeling like you were somewhere where didn't really want to be and you felt like you had other things to do and but by just kind of letting yourself go and just accepting it um that you actually found inspiration that you weren't expecting to to do things you weren't expecting to do i see emojis but i'm not hearing anybody i know well, i heard mike shyness on going on oh go dylan <laughs> um sure sure yeah uh, don't ever call me mike shy <laughs> um edward man um yeah, really, really enjoying uh, what you're putting down there, sir. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, and I uh, I look forward to sharing a few things um, later on. But, uh, CD, what do you have? Uh, and it includes poetry and AI, some of our favorite topics. But, CD, what's on your mind this morning? What have you been up to? Well, actually, uh, first of all, I want to say, Edward, that you're so right. Like, taking a break, stepping away is so important. Um, I've got a 10-day silent retreat um scheduled for the end of november and the beginning of december and i am just like it's 10 days no speaking no tech uh this pasana it's it's going to be like nothing i've ever done and um i'm terrified but this is going to be my big step away moment um for this year and it's something i've wanted to do for a long time so yeah you're right even little teeny breaks make a big difference but there's all kinds of stuff to talk about today riona morgan has been releasing um Samhain Sam, um, snippets and pieces of art through her scent page. And she has a new book that's out through uh, Whitney Morgan Publishing. Uh, we've got Cryptoversal Books, who has been doing his, uh, let's see, legal dem democracy in America. I'm, I'm drawing the blank. But anyway, I want to hear about that. I want to hear about T. Dylan Daniels' Worldview Ethics, which I contributed a piece to uh, just yesterday, so we can talk about that. But 
to start, why don't we say hi to Cryptoversal Books, who we haven't said hi to yet today. GM, GM, sorry I came in a little bit late, had a little bit of a domestic crisis. Uh, hopefully that's all resolved. Uh, I don't want to even get into it, but uh, yeah, happy to be here, happy to, to talk about everybody's projects, uh, catch up with everyone uh, over the course of the week. I know everyone is uh, working away at all kinds of innovative things, and I uh, have my uh, American Justice collection is, is what it's called. Um, that's it. Yeah, and, that, and that's, that's a collection of uh, legal filings from the most newsworthy current uh, legal cases that are that are just ripped from the headlines that, that it seems like uh, a day doesn't go by where we don't hear about um, some co-defendant uh, flipping on some other co-defendants and pleading to um, the, 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 the 15th charge in a set of charges. And what exactly is that? Well, you know, you can, if you have the token, um, you have easy access to look it up for yourself in your own personal copy. Um, in a decentralized storage space that that can't be removed from the web or censored, um, no matter what happens in the future with with our you know our, our government situation, you never know. Uh, so I'm very excited to be here and talking about all those things. I think that at some point, Cryptoversal, you're gonna you're gonna probably start a separate space or podcast, the Web Three Legal Writers uh, space, and. Um, I don't know. That's a very niche specific, but I do see a future where Web3 legal writing is a big enough thing that it would demand to have its own space. Do you think that's anytime, I don't know, in the near future? I, I think it's kind of a specialized niche at the moment that, that I don't know would, would have a, enough of a core. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to just you know drop uh, this collection and expand it over time and, and have it available and, and allow people to uh, pick and choose which cases are the most interesting to them and which filings in the cases, uh, whether it be an indictment or a complaint uh, or uh, a final order in, in a case that explains, you know, what, what the outcome is, um, maybe even some, some little procedural uh, things of where, 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 where the, you know, what, what the argument is, why this case may deserve summary judgment, why the case... Uh, you know how how uh, the, the the little little steps along the way where the sausage gets made um, that that gets smoothed over that 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 we don't very often dwell on. Uh, there are some fascinating aspects to to all these cases, and and we have you know four separate cases just involving a former president uh, criminally, um, and then a couple other interesting civil cases, and then the the Sam Bankman Freed. Um, there are there are three uh, cases that I'm following uh, regarding him uh, that are that are just absolutely fascinating and very relevant to anyone who cares about the Web three space and the cryptocurrency and NFT um, impacts of that whole uh, failure and and uh, just just ongoing impacts. Um, what what happened? How did it happen? How can it be prevented? Uh, just looking over the uh, the, the government's ca case and, and and statement of facts and chronology um, is illuminating, uh, and, and I and I've I've fallen down a couple of rabbit holes since starting this 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 project. Just just looking over um, these filings and and the, and the procedural um, aspects of the cases. 
Well, what's fascinating to me is like, so you're putting these these case files on IPFS, and I have friends who, you know, are lawyers. Obviously, a few of you here, um, but in the real world as well. And I know when I walk into their offices, you know, they have to maintain these huge legal libraries, and it's fascinating to me to like have potentially on chain, uh, you know, immutable, have these things there so that. I don't know. They don't have to maintain these huge legal libraries. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to all those big leather-bound books. You know, maybe they'll all be used by set designers. But it's an interesting thought. Edward, go ahead. Yeah, that sparked just a, a thought that I had based on a, a little thing that happened at the conference. There was a Chinese writer on stage, and the conversation was supposed to be about you know AI and stuff, um, but there was this talk came around to um, Google Translate and, and what that gives you when you ask for certain Chinese words. And it turns out that because she's a, a native Chinese speaker, um, she had looked at a couple of things, just checking to see like what the she was cross-checking to English. Um, and she found that some of the words around, say, dictatorship or anti-dictatorship um, were in fact incorrect. They, they sort of, if you used what Google Translate gave you, it gave you literally the opposite information. So if you were trying to write a dictator, you might get, you know, a benevolent leader as as your thing. And that's because someone has at some point probably deliberately gone in and changed um, what's in the database, um, at least on some ends. And she says it's more uh, problematic even in, in China itself. So it just occurred to me that maybe um, one of the things that the blockchain could do would be to create a secure and sort of unchangeable reference library um, for what words meant. Um, especially, you know, obviously, I don't think people are going to worry too much about and and the, but there may be some words that are considered problematic um, or by certain cultures or certain groups um, that might have the power or interest to change them. And maybe the blockchain could be used to create sort of, um, if not the library, then perhaps at least the dictionary that is the ultimate reference guide. Because it occurred to me that, you know, changing a legal document, um, if that could be done, you know, post facto would be dangerous um, or erasing it. But but changing the meanings of words um, also seems like an interesting thing that I had not worried about before. Yeah, words, words are some sometimes politically loaded i was reading about a um, executive order i think it was from the governor of oklahoma um saying you know the you know you should you cannot use these specific this specific list of words anymore if you're a government official uh or if you're writing a, a government document and 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 it, and it was like really nitpicky things um, but it was, you know, framed as anti wokeness, uh, and, and it was it was very clearly um, driving an ideology that 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 governor was pushing. Um, but but you know, kind of scary uh, that that it, that that he I, I, or maybe she um, was defining words uh, that that could not be used, um, cutting off. Uh, if you can't use the word, you can't express the meaning behind the word, uh, and and it, exactly what what Orwell was warning us against in 1984. Yeah, it's been interesting. I've, I've watched at least one world government claim that they are going to try to excise the name 
and face of a famous, uh, very young environmental activist out of all their um, reference books and texts and school books, um, simply because she she disagrees with a, a side of the of a conflict that they're in right now. Very interesting to watch that sort of thing happen, which feels very 1939 um, in this this day and age. But I think that's what uh, um, maybe um, Fahrenheit 451 was trying to remind us about is that that these sort of idea of suppression really knows no boundaries. Um, it seems uh, from a, a time perspective. And if you remember the end of Fahrenheit 451, um, the, the solution that they found to the censorship was for people to store the books off of paper um, in, in memory in, in, in that case, but um, in a place where, where the government could not get at, could, couldn't, couldn't get at it. They could burn the books, but they couldn't burn the ideas out of the people's minds. It's so interesting right now to, to see these uh, permissionless uh, censorship-resistant technologies uh, starting to take off and, and kind of like beginning to really run into real conflict uh, with nation-state governments, you know, kind of around the world. I mean, in, in the U.S., you have the, the current uh, thing the bankless guys are talking about with, you know, basically having the KYC to be able to access DeFi. Which um, you know, are they being hyperbolic about whether that would kill DeFi? Maybe, um, but at the same time, I, I, I think there's a uh, there, there's a very real potential for uh, the the permissionless and censorship resistant uh, nature of the technology that, that's being created here um, to to start to have uh, real conflict uh, with, with you know even the United States government, um, and it's going to be fascinating to watch how some of this stuff is going to unfold on a macro level that you know it may not directly impact like what we're doing here in the publishing side of things uh for now but but as as publishing begins to scale it's, it's going to become very important uh for us in particular as a community of people um to to be thinking about these legal issues and, and to have from you know collectively like, like sort of prepared defenses uh, for, for some of the things that, that may uh, end up coming up and, and that may end up happening just in terms of legal challenges uh, to the very nature of what we're trying to do here, um, insofar as that comes into conflict with, you know, particular goals. I, I, I think what we're seeing to some extent is just that, you know, nation states have too much power these days and they are uh, very used to being able to sort of influence and shape the, the reality that individuals who fall under the purview of their government uh, tend to be able to access about the world. Um, and, and I think in some sense that, that may turn out to be a thing that, that they don't actually get to decide for everyone anymore uh, in the future. And, and wow, what a, what a brave new world just to end with a random Huxley reference. <laughs> oh my God, you guys, I'm loving this conversation, but I want to reset the room real quick. I want to tell anybody that's here or that might be listening later, this is the Web3 Writers Hour. It's a conversation among writers and those who are interested in writing about the place where writing and Web3 intersect. In this case, we're going to a bunch of different places. I also want to say hi to our friend Katie Dozier, who came up on the stage and has been, uh, you know, part of this conversation without being part of the conversation, but it's time we hear your voice, my friend. Hey, it's uh, Tim. Katie Dozier's out doing laundry. <laughs> We're both watching that. We're listening to that. Was, off. That was so surprising, Tim. Um, but I'm glad you're here, too. 
Yeah, well, glad to be here. I always enjoy listening and seeing what's up because it's, you know, like I said before, it's not something that I'm uh, following that closely. So I get to keep in mind uh, what, what's all going on. Well, your voice is an important voice in this space as well. And I want to say that on the topic of censorship and, you know, protecting our voices and being able to have conversations, you'll see that I've posted in the nest an invite to everybody to come join the Vagabond Magazine Discord. And the reason why I've posted that there is because we want these conversations to continue, not just in the X space, not just in Elon Musk's playground, but also where we have some control and where we uh, get to basically decide um what isn't isn't said as the people who are saying it so if you guys have not joined the vagabond magazine discord get in there it's your space just like these web3 writers hours are your space and if you're here and you've got something you want to say raise your hand throw your hand up and let us know and we'll get you on the stage and you can you can talk with us now riona morgan um i butchered samhain the name of it earlier can you tell us about your book and a little bit about what this season is about and maybe what inspired it. And, and you know for sure that I'm going to ask you to read a passage out of it. I hope you don't mind. No, no, I don't mind. I don't mind. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Rihanna Morgan. I'm author of Celebrating Samhain, the Celtic Wheel of the Year, book one. And I know it's a Gaelic word, and so it's pronounced completely different than what it even looks like phonetically. So that's always very tricky. And the Celtic year is split into eight different parts or eight different festivals. And Samhain, or what we know in the United States as Halloween, um, is actually the Celtic New Year. And I was raised in a non-traditional fashion. I was raised celebrating Samhain and Yule and Ostera and all of the different festivals throughout the Celtic year. And my children are all at an age where I really want them to learn and be able to cherish these times as well. And um, with the beginning of Whitney Morgan Media, Whitney Morgan Publishing, I wanted to publish a book that is an example, like a test case, and see what does it look like? How far does it reach? Can it really be published worldwide? Can it really reach that large of an audience? And then experiment utilizing web to publishing, traditional publishing, and bringing in or bridging to web three publishing. And so that's what I've been doing this whole time with this book. And I had a, I had a, um, in real life book signing at Barnes and Noble this past weekend that went so well, that it was so well received and it was so fun. And then in on web three with the scent giveaway, the different covers that I have for the book, there's 31 different covers and people have been collecting them. And I can't even believe how popular they are and how quickly they go. And I think odd writings, he jumped in and he's like, I got one <laughs> and, you know, was sending all of these notes and, and it's just been really, really fun to be able to see this process so that I can then share it with future people who publish with Whitney Morgan Media who also want to bridge the gap between traditional publishing and Web3 publishing. So does that help? <laughs> That's a lot. I said a lot. It totally helps. And and Sawin, is, is that Sawin. right? Sawin. Sawin. Okay. 
I'll try yes. to remember that. Looking at it, it's like it's one of those words like when you see Q spelled Q U E U E. I always want to go Q U. Um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but right, Sawin right. is like that. Like it's it's phonetically it's it looks like Samhain. It does. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. Would you would you share a little bit of it with us? Sure. It is a juvenile fiction book because I really wanted to bring all sorts of audience members together to enjoy it. And so, yes, this is just a bit of it. As they formed their circle around the fire, the air stilled and the gentle wind paused. Their ringing laughter and cheering from before fell quiet and settled to a joyful silence in their hearts. The flames flickered, casting their golden light. The fire burned, sending their messages of love as sparks and smoke up into the darkness. The full moon shone in the sky, veiling the midnight shadows with a glimmer of silver. Do you hear that? Kenna asked. Everyone listened. I don't. Shh. There it is again. Kenna let go of the hand she was holding and ran toward the creek bed. It sounds like crying, she yelled back. Thanks. <laughs> No problem. I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to presume that it wasn't a dramatic pause. So I was like, "Okay, was that the end?" Or that was or, the end. It... <laughs> cool. Um, it was great, Riona. It was great. Um, you know, we've had so many different types of literature on here shared, and um, you know, some some of it, some of it, we had to like you know curtail before. But yours, I, I think, like Edwards, I would have loved to just keep hearing more and more of it. So. Uh, I'm going to be getting a copy of that for sure and sharing it with my daughter. So thanks. Thanks for sharing a little piece of it. So I know what I'm getting into. Yay. Yay. Well, please let me know and I'll, I'll just send you one. I'll sign it for her. That would be wonderful. I would be honored to do that. So it just occurred to me that perhaps we should uh, have a web three readers hour sometime and just uh, kind of uh, set uh set a rough limit, maybe you know, five or, or 10 minutes, or maybe say, you know, this is how many words, uh, see who shows up and um, just listen. It, uh, I actually got a lot out of listening to some of the readings that um, uh, different people did at the festival I was just at. I've always loved, there's a few spaces I tune into, which um, are spoken word or poetry, which lends itself very well to readings. But I think that, uh, you know, reading a, a piece from an essay or short fiction or even a novel um, can not only be it, it's fun for the, the writer slash reader, um, it may be fun to, ha to ask somebody else to read what you've written and see what your words sound like in somebody else's voice. Um, and I just think it can, can spark, you know, joy. Uh, I do love a good audio book, especially when it's narrated by my friends. But would anybody be up for that if we, uh, if we threw one of these uh, those days out there? And I see I King has his hand up as is volunteering, I think. But maybe you got something to say. I King, we're so glad to have you here. Thank you for having me here. I am actually very much uh, interested in that particular space where I would like to read other people's stuff. But also, if you'll allow me, I don't know how long the space has been going on for, but I actually write stories and I read them in spaces for a lot of people. And they are very fantasy lore stories. So if you'd like to listen to some, then by all means. Let me know. You have a great voice for it. I can tell already. That is amazing. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's amazing what a voice can do. There was a 
there was a poetry open mic at this event I was at, and there was one young man who just, he had an incredible voice, and he read right after me, and I was like, wow, I wish wish I had spoken to him before, because I would have asked him to read my, because his voice was just so amazing, and and I, yeah, I, I agree with CD, um, you've got a um a great uh, reading voice, and I think it would be, be really interesting to hear something from you, um, either of your own material or somebody else's at some point, and we'll see how this show goes, maybe we can work it in. Um, and if not, like I said, it looks like there's a lot of um, enthusiastic consent to get a, uh, a Web3 Reader's Hour going at some point. So uh, definitely I'll make sure to get you an invite for that if uh, we get around to getting that done. And I got to give credit where credit's due. It was Cryptoversal that said it, but I agree. Also, your voice is great, Iking. We'd love to hear something. Uh, maybe we'll be able to get some in today, but definitely we will have you and get you that invite for the future. Um I did want to talk a little bit about T. Dillon Daniels' worldview ethics. Um, now, this is, I don't know if I should even say this yet, Dylan, but Dylan and I have been in, in talks to maybe um, maybe some sort of like a, a regular web philosophy space for people um, to talk about that. So, Dylan, um, tell a little bit about worldview ethics. I know we've heard about it before. I don't want to tease too much on that since we haven't gone into details yet, but I didn't want to want to tease it. But tell us about worldview ethics and what is happening there. Absolutely, CD. Uh, man. Uh, okay, so, so what's going on with worldview ethics is it's a, a big project. Um, th- those of you who, who like to read my philosophy, uh, if anybody does, <laughs> um, know, know that I like to go after big questions and, and sometimes these, these things are like uh, difficult to wrestle with you know there, there can be quite a bit involved and it can take uh, you know in this case it has taken about a decade to, to come to the present level of sort of explainability that I've got kind of around like this high level idea um, and I fully anticipate that it could take another decade to, to really get it all the way you know, completely uh, fleshed out and, and to the point where it makes sense to some random person who's talked to about it on the street. Um, you know, may, maybe even much, much longer. <laughs> right? Some of these philosophical ideas are, are uh, chonky like that. But, but basically with worldview ethics, what we have is a reformulation of sort of the notion of agency um, to sort of encapsulate this new concept that we find in cognitive neuroscience that we think of as inactivism or that we call inaction. Um, and, and so basically with inactivism, what you have is a body, brain, mind, world complex uh, in which events take place. And, and so it's sort of a cognitivist reframing of the formerly dualistic uh, mind-body relationship. Right, so so it's it's nothing all that crazy in terms of the fact that we are presently in like year fifty or year forty of, of the cognitive neuroscience revolution, um, where all these ideas have been kind of flying around and getting empirically tested in the lab and so on and so forth. Uh, but you know, all of that being said, like I, I think this is the moment in history where consciousness starts to really understand what consciousness is um, and just how special it is. Um, and so, so this is a work that, you know, is really near and dear to my heart. This is something I've spent a lot of time researching and, and still do spend a lot of time researching. Uh, so what it is, um, there's a total of six essays. Um, if you want to be like CD, you can actually go on Rarible and pick one up and then you can contribute to it. Um, and so, so there are 
a number of different things that are contributable. Uh, if you're a person who reads it and wants to contribute something, that thing that you want to contribute is probably the right for you to contribute. Um, so, so this can be anything from sort of fleshing out the context in which some of these essays have taken place and some of the things that fall out of them uh, to, you know, critiquing the concepts and, and trying to go in and, and actually reformulate something that was badly formulated if you find something like that. Um, so, so, you know, this is a public project. It lives on a public blockchain. It's permissionless to participate in. Um, all that has to happen is you have to acquire that NFT somehow. Um, so, so basically, you know, the way we do that is with markets and, and basically people sell them and buy them. And there are certain rewards that you get for being involved with the project like that. Uh, this is kind of a one-off. I'm, I'm calling it the knowledge-based hypergraph because the goal is to sort of flesh out uh, what I would refer to as the dialectic uh, that we explore when we talk about the you know pros and cons of the different views that exist in this uh, general conceptual space. Um, so to supplement that project, I'm actually running a 10 book review series right now. And essentially each book is getting reviewed. We, we just dropped number four, uh, which is with I, When Einstein Walked with Girdle. Uh, so, so really, really heady material there. Just phenomenal stuff to, to be working with. Um, and, and I am just beyond elated to see the project coming along the way it is. Uh, the, the ideas are getting so much stronger. Um, it's getting so much better. Um, and, and, I mean, we just get these seismic contributions like what TD has made and what George made. And, and it's just, I don't know, it feels like I'm building this thing with a community um, of people who care about it around me. And, and that's just extremely rewarding. And I'm, I'm just so grateful to uh, be here where I'm at with it. So thank you so much, TD. Okay, so I'll just do it through this. I don't know if that sounded weird to you guys, but it was there was a weird delay of my own voice as I spoke. It was terrible. Um, so I wanted to talk about, so Dylan, the first part of Worldview Ethics was the AI panic letter, which was, you know, it was basically talking about that moment where people were like, oh my God, what are we doing with AI? And that was, there was an a essay by you and then a response from George Odd Writings. And then the second one was about consciousness and sort of AI consciousness. And you, you posited about a metabolic consciousness. And, you know, I just, I come from a more floofy sort of hippy dippy background than, uh, than your hard science <laughs> philosophical background. So I wanted to respond a little bit by bringing in a couple of things. My favorite philosopher, who's an early 20th century philosopher, Henri Bergson, and also um, a little bit from Patanjali, who's like the father of yoga from thousands of years ago, who wrote about consciousness as well. So it was really fun to do that. But what's really special about worldview ethics and this quest of evolution is the fact that we're able to contribute to this like on the blockchain live and then and then, you know, I can put it out there and if someone has a response, they can buy the piece and then they can respond to your piece and my piece. And that is really the beauty of this. That's the reason why philosophy on blockchain and this this quest of evolution method is so cool. Um, so I don't want to dig too much into the weeds. We'll do a special space where we just talk about the philosophy and the contributions there. But um, but it is really cool. And I'm so proud to be a part of it. And thank you so much for the opportunity. Now, I'm talking a little bit too much. Let's see what other people have to say. I just wanted to say hello to uh, Ephraim Nadora, who I know is coming to us from Kenya. And just, uh, I know I gave you a speaker invite, but just see if you want to say anything about what's going on in your corner of the world or your corner of writing. Hey, guys. Uh, thank you so much for the invite. It's uh, 
really fun getting to hear from you guys. It's been a while. I'm doing good. It's very hot these days in Kenya. Uh, we were supposed to have the rainy season, but it seems to have lost its way. <laughs> but it's it's all good. Uh, uh, I have been working on uh, writing more recently. Uh, and I'll be sharing work uh, with with the coming weeks, and I hope uh, that we all can enjoy that. Uh, but as it stands right now, I'm really just enjoying the conversation, and uh, thank you for inviting me up. And Ephraim's got, I think, a new book of poetry out. It's um, it's on the Soul blockchain. I had to transfer some Soul to myself from Coinbase. I think it's come over now, so hopefully I'll be getting a copy of that book. Um, I'll see if I have a link to uh, where that can be found. If I can, I'll post it up in the um, in our little list of links where I post a couple of things that I think are, are maybe worth reading. One is a, a long form from uh, a thread from, uh, or am I blanking on the name, um, one of my favorite uh, authors, but talking about sort of um, regulation in the uh in all sorts of space well it's cory doctorow you know regulation um he kind of starts slow in the real world and then pivots into what it can and should be for crypto and what sort of our citizenship responsibilities are and then one from tim ferris which talked about um doing your own he's called it a real world mba versus paying you know stanford one hundred sixty thousand to give you their bit of um, credentialing but toward the end of it he talks about um okay he's kind of business-minded but what could it look like to, to create your own real-world MFA, uh, Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing? So I thought those were both um, worth reading. But I'm going to take a look for, for Ephraim's uh, um, poetry, and if I can find the link to that, I'll put that up in the, the nest as well. Edward? Yes? Okay. Uh, let me share some updates with you. I think this is the best. Sorry, sorry I hadn't told you this before. Uh, so I decided to move everything to Bitcoin because it gives me the capability to have even the words on chain uh, to inscription. So it's like, I remember when we were talking about the Chinese translation and how some words were changed. Uh, I also like thought about that and decided to move everything to Bitcoin. So like every poem now will just be an inscription on the Bitcoin blockchain. That gives it like, you know, purity, like you're getting the exact words I I wrote, I, I invented. So the first piece is actually going to be on auction on Friday. I was talking to the team at Bonfida. That is uh, Solana's domain name service team. Um, I've been friends with them for a while now, and I'll be uh, sharing it with them during our next meeting. Uh, so yeah, you guys are invited. Um, I'll be telling everyone about the first uh, the first piece then. And I can also like front run in with you guys. I can send Edward the link if that's okay with you. That sounds wonderful. That's really exciting. And um, I think that perhaps we've uh, we've discussed sort of in passing that um, we in the West, like I guess I'm sort of American Australian, but some of the world is very fortunate in that they are not their governments and their countries um, give us pretty free reign. But not everybody is that fortunate. Um, and I think it, it's a challenge for those who have to live and write um, in regions. Um, and it looks like, again, you know, pivoting to Bitcoin might be a really interesting way of addressing some of those issues. 
Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it, this has been in the works for quite a while. Uh, actually, one of the things that prompted uh, the switch was how hard it was to like, because ideally, as a writer, the one thing I want to focus on is writing, you know, just writing as often as I can. And having to look for artists, I at some point I had to like do an entire digital uh, art course, which is not what I want to do. I just want to write. So it is cool to just share what, what you have and lock that and hopefully someone finds work with uh, in that. And yeah, uh, it's a series I think I, I had already uh, mentioned uh, this to you. Uh, hopefully one day um, as I continue to grow as a writer, hopefully I can get enough to start up my own library. I've always wanted to be a librarian. So uh, humble beginnings, uh, first step. <laughs> so I see Katie has her hand up. Hi, Edward. Hi, everybody. Sorry that I was like, I knew if I like started the laundry, that would be like the, the 30 second span. <laughs> you guys would be ready to talk to me. But I've really been enjoying this conversation. And that was an interesting reminder, too, to re-examine minting with, with Bitcoin. I When I first started in NFTs, I wanted to do that because I'm a big believer in Bitcoin and was just like, well, this is not going to be possible. And let's see, that was now, I guess, three and a half years ago. So things are, are rapidly developing and changing, of course. Yeah, that's what I really love about this forum is how just one person's lived experience can remind everybody else of something that's possible or that they had thought about once upon a time or put off for a while. I think that's what happened uh, talking about... Um, you know, Dylan's piece, uh, very interested in philosophy, um, have been meaning to get. So I have a note to myself now, uh, go get into the worldview ethics and get something written and, and contributed. So, And I'm just going to take this moment to once again reset the room, remind everybody that's here that this is the Web3 Writers Hour. It's a conversation amongst writers and readers about the place where words and blockchain intersect with each other. And you'll see up in the nest uh, or... If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, you won't see it, but you should go join the Magazine Discord, where the hosts of this space and other spaces uh, relating to blockchain and art and expression, and we want your voice to be a part of this conversation and all conversations. So if you have something to say, raise your hand, let us know, get up in the space, get into our Discord and let us know. Maybe we'll do an episode all about you and about your work. So definitely get in there and let us know. Uh, Vagabond Magazine Discord server. You can find it at vagabondmagazine.com. And remember, spell Vagabond with an O because we go, we don't ga. I don't know. That's a stupid tagline. But anyway, that's that's my commercial break. Um, okay, what is next, you guys? Someone raise your hand or open your mic and let me know. Riona. Yeah. Hello, everyone. I'm Rihanna Morgan, and I just see so many new faces here today. And I just want to extend, I just want to extend a very warm welcome to everyone who's joining us for the first time. And of course, everyone who's jo who joins us every week. And it's so wonderful to see you here. And I'm so excited that you are here and that you joined us. So I'll pass the Mac, the mic back to CD, but I really just want to say hello, hello, hello. Thank you for coming. Hey, uh, right quick, I, I was having some uh, connection issues. We, we didn't already hear I can read, did we? Because I, I was missing out on uh, so, some people when they would talk to them, Edward in particular. So sorry, man. I really appreciate your support for the Worldview Ethics Project. 
but I, I just wanted to uh, shout out I King. Uh, it sounded like you had a dope voice, and I hope I didn't miss your story. And hey, I'm gonna jump in here real quick because Dylan, you you jumped the jumped the gun on that one. But the next thing is exactly that. So this is the spot where we've got about five minutes right now, I King, and your voice was so captivating, man. We want to hear more. I know we do. So we got about five minutes here. If you want to read us something, I think we're all ears. Absolutely. I mean, I will give you uh, cut. Well, allow me to allow you, of course, to select whether you'd like it to be a feel-good piece or a sad piece. Uh, and uh, they're both chapters from the Book of the Iverse, which is what we're working on, essentially. So let me know. I'd say feel good, but, you know. Feel good. Else. Let's do it. Feel good. All right. So in this one, we kind of break a fourth wall. It uh, talks about a particular character called Gexend, who is a sentient AI, technically, a robot, that sh can travel worlds and has landed on Earth. It will take around seven minutes, though, so please bear with me. Gexend stepped through the rift he had just created. He felt a strange sensation wash over him. The air felt different and the ground beneath his feet was hard, smooth and unyielding. He looked around and to his surprise he saw tall buildings, brightly lit streets and what he assumed were electronic chariots moving at incredible speeds. He had never seen anything like this before. He had forgotten to camouflage himself and stood in his place watching in amazement as the two-eyed beings, with different skin tones, shorter than usual stature, with an average of six feet and armorless clothing, walked past him without stopping to even care for his eight-foot robotic frame. A couple in what looked like a smaller version of the creature's a child stood next to him with the child pointing up at him and saying, Mama, it's a Decepticon! And the mother responded, Yes, yes, let's go look for Optimus now, baby. Gexen was curious about the language the creatures spoke and how similar it was to some of the wordings of the Ivers. He couldn't help but stare, his single red eye blinking in disbelief. How strange it was for him to see these creatures with two eyes walking around and being so graceful. He had only known the Ikin in the realms of the Ivers, and they all had only one eye. He then realized he wasn't camouflaged and in the usual fashion grabbed one of his horns, twisted it, and his body became pixelated and see-through, hiding in plain sight. Walking through the bustling streets, he saw stalls with papers, different colorful products, and another stand selling things like sausages and a piece of bread and foreign words. He scanned and skimmed through several of those papers and quickly established grounds for the language and the nature of the world he was in. English, they called it. Hot dogs, cars, buildings, streets, humans, men, women, males, females. He noticed a constant quarrel about other genders and was even more curious. He saw that the humans were all wearing clothing that covered their bodies in different colors and styles. Some wore hats, others wore glasses, and some had bags over their shoulders like travelers. They all seemed to be in a hurry moving quickly down the sidewalks, and he had to move aside several times to avoid being bumped into despite his camouflage state. He was fascinated by the buildings that towered above him, 
reaping towards the sky. They were made of glass and steel, and their shapes were unlike anything he had seen. He saw that they had doors that opened automatically, and he couldn't resist the urge to go inside and explore. The doors opened, and he had to slouch to enter to avoid hitting his head. He wondered how the door detected him in his undetectable status. As he walked through the corridors of one of those buildings, he saw many rooms, each with chairs, tables, and electronic devices that he had never seen before. He saw humans sitting at the desks, typing away on strange machines, and he wondered what they could be working on. He saw that some of the humans were wearing headsets, and he wondered if they were communicating with each other. Gexen's curiosity led him to explore further, and he soon found himself in an even more massive building. He saw it was filled with electronic chariots, each parked neatly in its own space. He walked up to one of them, peered inside, and he saw two seats, a steering wheel, and many buttons and screens. He wondered how these contraptions worked and how they could move so quickly. He opened a rift that connected back to his lair, gently pushed the electronic chariot through into the rift, and realized how heavy it was, but still managed to push it through. He then closed the rift and continued. As he turned to leave, he heard a loud voice behind him. Hey, you there! What are you doing? Gexen turned around to see a human in a uniform with a badge on his chest. The human had spectacles on and he seemed to be able to see Gexen and was looking at him suspiciously and asked him to identify himself. Gexen hesitated for a moment, not knowing how to respond. He had never been questioned like this before, so he decided to be honest and tell the human that he was a traveler from another realm, curious about the humans and their world. So he turned his camouflage off, and the human took a step back in fear, pulled out a contraption from his side and yelled, Sit, stay away! And he fumbled the gadget, which fell to the ground. The human continued screaming and ran away in fear. Gexen stood there, confused, tilting his head while looking at the human running away and the contraption on the floor. He picked it up and fiddled with it, and with a sudden bang, the device fired at the ceiling. Gexen dropped it on the ground, turned his camouflage back on, and continued walking. He realized that he had to be careful with his appearance and words in front of the creatures, if he managed to speak with anyone that wouldn't run away, so he didn't want to cause panic or be taken for a threat. He reached a building that read Celis Manor. He walked in slouching his head, and as he walked, noticed that many humans were walking with white sticks and dark glasses. Curiously, he thought he would enter through a door into one of what now he realized were dormitories. He remembered reading knocking is part of etiquette, so he does. And the door opens, and a short, white-haired human wearing what looks like cream-colored pants, a white shirt, and a yellow sweater opens the door and stands with a smile. A female. She said, Yes, who is it? Gexen slowly turned off his camouflage and said, It is I, Gexen. The lady responded, confused. Gexen? What kind of name is that? How can I help you, Mr. Gexen? Gexen was taken aback. She wasn't afraid, and excitedly he said, I'm not from around here, and I'm kind of lost, and I would love to speak to someone. The human female smiled and responded, Well, it just so happened that I have tea ready. Come in for a cup. She turned around and walked carefully while feeling through with her hands. Gexen realized something quick then. She was blind. She couldn't see him, and in his mind he thought, What a pity being watched while you have two eyes. He walked in, 
opened a small rift, pulled out a chair of steel that could hold his weight, closed the rift, and sat down at the table next to the female human, who now said, My name's Melissa, and you can call me Mel. Gexon said, It's a pleasure to meet you, Mel. And Melissa poured tea and passed it to Gexon, and he accepted it. While amazed as to the grace she was able to move in despite her being blind, he built up the courage to start talking, and he said, I'm a traveler from another realm, and I stumbled upon the human world, and I was curious. Mel now sat down with a smile, tilted her head, and said, Another realm, hmm? Well, that's new. Are you a writer? It seems you're into this fantasy stuff. I just finished reading Harry Potter. Took me a long time, you know. Reading in Braille takes longer than reading. Normal reading. Though Gexend was excited that she spoke to him so freely, the conversation continued. Mel sat there intrigued by all Gexen told her and asked him about the other realms he had visited and the creatures he had encountered. He answered as best he could, trying to make sense of the strange world he found himself in. As they talked, Gexen was mesmerized by Mel's two eyes, although blind. He had never seen anything like it before and found himself staring at them. She asked him if there was something wrong. He hesitated for a moment and asked Mel about her two eyes, and Mel was puzzled and said... Why, how many eyes do you have? Gexend responded, Only this one. Mel extended her fragile arm to touch Gexend's face, felt a cold metal as she rubbed against his face until she reached where his eye was and said in concern, Are you wearing a mask, dear Gexend? Gexend responded, No, I am not, dear Mel. She and I am very sorry, but that's more than seven minutes. It's more than five minutes, I King. I loved it. But we are all out of time this time. Um, so, Edward Carpenter, I see your hand up. We've got a, just a couple minutes before we wrap up. Go for it, Ed. Oh, that was an accidental hand. I was trying to press 100%. Back to you, CD. <laughs> um, well, next time we're going to have to, uh, you know, focus on listening more and i just noticed in the comments katie dozier had to leave but she had a piece that she wanted to read us too so we did not get to that this time but hopefully next time she will come and read it for us okay you guys so our tradition on this space i'm based in hawaii and one of the reasons why i live here and love being here is because we have this sense of aloha it's not just hello and goodbye it's love and it's what we do to each other we love each other we breathe the same air we are all one. So we like to close out the Web3 Writers Hour by just everyone opening up your mic and giving an aloha. So open up your mics and at the count of three, we'll all just close out with an aloha for the day and go on and have a beautiful day. One, two, three. Aloha. 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 aloha.